Well, good morning. Well, like, uh, like Keith said, we are beginning a focus season. And for those of you who haven't been here during a focus season, basically what that means is that the entire church focuses on one thing. And we do it together. So all of our small groups will go through the same material that we do on Sunday morning. We dive in. Um, and the reason that we do that is, is because that while we all kind of grow individually, I think there's also a place for us to grow together, to grow collectively as a church. And so when there are areas where we feel like, okay, this is, this is an area where we really want to drill down and, and, and work through as a church, then we will do a focus season. And we usually do it twice a year. Uh, we'll do a focus season and say, all right, let's all just uh, focus in on, uh, on this particular topic. Now, like, uh, like we've probably already seen, and maybe you guys already have your, your books there, uh, this focus season is focusing in on struggle. And uh, struggle, I think, sometimes is, is something that we don't talk about a lot in the church. And one of, there's a caution that I want to give you right now is, and, and that is, I, I think there is sometimes a tendency for us to think, well, this is something that I need to know about so I can help someone else who is struggling. And, uh, and, and oftentimes that happens in the church, but what I want you to do during this time is I want you to personalize it. Because the truth of the matter is, is that dealing with struggles is not something that just happens with people outside the church. People inside the church struggle too. It's not just people outside the church that struggle with mental health and mental illness. People inside the church struggle with mental health and mental illness. People, it's not just people outside the church that are disappointed with the way their lives are turning out. It's people inside the church. I'm sure that there are plenty of people right here in this room who wonder oftentimes, well, what is happening with my life and, uh, and why does it seem like things are not going the way I want? And so these are struggles not just for other people, but they're struggles for us. Now, certainly we want to you know, educate ourselves on how to deal with them so we can also reach out to other people. But I think we have to start by saying, no, these are things that, that we struggle with too, and we need to acknowledge that as well. And I suppose this is something that seems to be changing, but as I was growing up, struggle is not something that Christians were supposed to do. And so any struggle that I had, I just had to keep inside, and, and I certainly never saw anyone in my church growing up really struggling until it became particularly obvious, and then we thought they were just kind of weird, like, what kind of a Christian are you that you're struggling like this? And, uh, and I think that's, st that's starting to change in the church, and that's certainly not um, an attitude that we want to have in this church. People struggle even people in the church. And so what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we are going to deal with that. Now, once in a while, people ask me, especially new people who come to the church, ask me, well, what is your vision for the church? And, and oftentimes what they're asking me is, is like, what do you want to see happen? And, and I think usually what people are looking for is, well, how big do you want to be? How fast do you want to grow? How do you, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And certainly we want the church to grow. We want to be effective in ministry and outreach. But it seems like over the last couple of years, really what my focus has been and what I tell people is, is that actually my vision and hopefully our vision for the church is that we are a church full of people who are being transformed by Jesus. That's the most important thing to me. And, and, and the, the important thing about that is, is that, the road to transformation always goes through struggle. You cannot avoid it. The road to transformation always goes through struggle. Now, 
Some of the struggles that we're going to be talking about in this series um, might sound to some people like self-help or some of the things that we talk about or the ways that we deal with it will sound like self-help. So I, I want to start out by dispelling that notion. Um, the, the, the mission of the church is one that Jesus gave us. In Matthew chapter 28, uh, verses 16 through 20, we have what's called the Great Commission. And, and it says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded them. And I am with you even to the end of the age. And so there are really three components to that mission. The first one is that as a church, we are to go. And, uh, and so that means that we don't just wait for people to come, but we are out in the world and uh, we, are, we are sharing the light of Jesus and we're making disciples outside the church. The second thing is that we are to baptize. And, and baptism is, is essentially a way of saying, all right, I'm committing myself to the way of Jesus. It's, it's sort of drawing a line in the sand and saying, this is the direction that my life is headed. And it's also a way for me to say that I am now part of this body of Christ, I'm now part of the church that, uh, that will help me grow, and I'll do my part to help them grow. Uh, so we go, we baptize, and then we teach people how to obey Jesus. Now, there are two components to this, and, and sometimes we forget about the second one. The first one is, is in order to know how to obey Jesus, we need to know what to obey. How is it that Jesus is calling us to live? And, and so we need to give some instruction around that, and oftentimes our discipleship is, uh, is centered on giving information to people so they know what Jesus said and how we're to live, and that's an important part. But the second part of it is a part that's much more difficult, and it's how do we do that? How how do we actually live the way Jesus called us to live? And, um, and, and the reason that it's so hard is, is because it's change, and change is hard. How many of you find change to be hard? Okay? At least purposeful change. I mean, I guess everything changes, but not everything improves. And you have to put some effort into it. And, and so um, part of change into becoming like Jesus is is being able to deal with some deeply ingrained habits and, and forming new habits so that we are able to do what is good and right, to do what Jesus called us to do. And that takes wisdom, and it takes work. Uh, God will do his part to transform our hearts, but we also have to do our part as well. And so we have to continually be going to Scripture and learning what God says, what has for us. Uh, but while our destination, all of our destination is similar, Christ-likeness, we have to recognize that we don't all come from the same place. Okay? We have different families of origins. We have different struggles. We have different personalities. We have different experiences in life. And so where we're coming from is very different, even though the destination is very similar. And, uh, and so what we have to do then is we have to figure out then how do we as a church just help others and, and help each other wherever we come from become more and more like Jesus. Now, when I was considering this series, and I've been thinking about it for, for quite some time, I started to think about some topics that we might address as we, as we talk about it. And uh, so I was just doing some brainstorming myself, and then I had the ultimate brainstorm of all. And this was just a stroke of genius here, okay? Rather than me trying to guess what everybody else is struggling with, why don't I just ask people? And uh, so at that point then, I, I sent out an email to, I don't know, it was probably, I don't know, half, uh, half about 30 people, I suppose. And, and I asked two questions. I said, uh, number one, 
what is something that you struggle with personally? What is something that you struggle with personally? And the second one is, or what do you see other people around you struggling with? And the answers that I got actually just blew my mind because, you know, there were a couple of them that I had thought of before, but actually the ones, and some of the ones that were repeated throughout uh, were ones that I hadn't thought of at all. And, uh, and so what's really cool about this series um, is that these are not just made-up pastor topics, right, that I want you guys to, to learn. These are topics that, that you came up with, that you said, no, these are the struggles that I have. And uh, so if you were one of the ones that responded, when we come to your particular struggle, we're actually going to put you right up here on the platform here, and I'm just going to give you all the answers. And that, No, that's actually, you know that's not going to happen. Uh, but anyway, these are ones that came from you, and, uh, and so know that these are struggles that are, that are real, and even if you didn't think of them, uh, my guess is, is that you'll, there will be at least a couple of them that will, that will resonate with you. Um, now, we'll get into the specific topics starting next week, but today, I want to start by helping us think biblically about struggle. And, and so we're going to talk in sort of a general way. This is a, an introduction to that. Um, like I said, the five struggles that we're talking about may not be ones that, you, that, that particularly resonate with you, but I know that you do have struggles. Um, and if you're not currently struggling, just wait, it will come. All right? I know that's, that's really encouraging, isn't it? Uh, but you know that. I mean, you all have lived long enough to know that, that at times there are going to be struggles. And I've seen some Christians... I think because we don't have, I think, a, a proper theology or a proper understanding of struggles, what the Bible says about struggle, oftentimes when those struggles come, um, Christians will sometimes abandon their moral compass or sometimes they'll even lose their faith because they'll think that something strange is, is happening. And, and sometimes Christians fail to handle struggles well because we have this faulty picture of God. Um, some people think that if they believe in God, that they won't have struggles. Or some people think that if they do have struggles that come, then God will take care of them very quickly. Okay? But of course, neither of these is a, is a biblical picture of God. Um, one of the things I love about the Bible is that it doesn't sugarcoat things. The Bible is, is very raw. I mean, if you read it the way it was actually written, it was very raw. And... Uh, and, and and it's true to experience. And so, for instance, we find Jesus saying at the end of his life, when he's getting ready to be crucified and, and to go away, um, he says to his disciples, in this world you will have trouble. But then, of course, he, he adds at the end, he says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, the Bible is clear that, we are, that, that the world is not going to go the way we want it to go. But if that's the case, then what good is our faith in God? Well, when we experience struggle in life, our, our natural tendency is oftentimes to ask, well, how can I fix this? How can I fix this? How can I make these struggles go away? And honestly, we as pastors, we like to give answers like that. We like to preach sermons like, you know, three steps to overcoming your struggles or, or anything like that. Um, sometimes, though, uh, and sometimes we have some struggles in life that can be overcome with three easy steps. 
Honestly, some, some struggles are like that. They're things that messes that we got ourselves into and we can get ourselves out of uh, through things like, you know, we can rely on things like uh, God's wisdom from Scripture. Okay? We can go there and we can start to apply it and it'll start to work and, and our, our situation will improve. But we can also learn from other avenues like reason, from science, from experience, from age-old practices of, of believers all throughout history. You know, a lot of those things can help to solve some of our struggles or at least mitigate some of those struggles. Um, and, and when those kinds of things are available, I will encourage you to take those steps. There might be some things that you just need to change about your life. And when that happens, then I will say, okay, you probably just need to change this about your life and, and that will help. Okay? But sometimes we have struggles that are not fixable. Um, and so I want to kick off this series today by helping us develop a a biblical perspective on this. And we're going to do that by walking through the passage that Jessica read earlier, Psalm chapter 46. So if you have your Bibles open, um, I want you to, I guess, stay there. If you close them or you don't have them open, I want you to turn there with me because we're going to be walking through this passage, pulling out uh, some insights, talking about uh, how do we handle struggle well. Psalm chapter 46. Now, there are some psalms where we know the situation that the psalm came out of. You know, for instance, Psalm 51 um, happened after David's uh, uh, adultery and and murdering uh, Bathsheba, murdering uh, Uriah. Um, So we know some of the, some of the, uh, the, the situations that the Psalms come out of. This is not one of those Psalms. We, nobody really knows what the particular situation is. We can surmise, you know, a few things. We do know that it was probably, you know, came out of some events that were actually happening. Seems to be pretty significant. Seems to be that there's some kind of a military threat that is, that, that's threatening um, Israel and the people are fearful of their future. Um, I wonder sometimes if maybe it was the result of some internet memes that were going around about world World War III and, and uh, maybe being drafted or something like that, but I'm not, I'm not positive about that. You know, but there was something like that. There was some kind of a military threat that was going on. And, and so what happens is, is the psalmist then starts by trying to reorient people, trying to orient people toward God. And in verse 1, he starts by reminding us of God's character. And this is what he says, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Okay? So there are three things there. First of all, God is our refuge. Okay? Now think about what that word means, a refuge. It's a, it's a place where you, it's a place of safety. It's a place where you can go to, to get out of, of danger. It's, it's a refuge. And, and you think about uh, maybe, um, have you ever been out in a, in a storm? Um, where it's raining really hard, but then there's lightning and there's lightning striking around you. Anybody ever been in that situation before? Okay, so what do you do? You run for shelter. You run for a refuge. And, and it's amazing. You can, you know, your anxiety is just going crazy in that. But then once you get through that door of the house or where, wherever you are, all of a sudden you just... <sighs> You know, so you know that feeling, okay? This is the feeling that it's talking about when it says God is our refuge. He's a, he's a safe place. So when there are storms out there, I can enter into relationship with God and he's a refuge for me. And the second thing that it says about him is that he is our strength. 
God is our, our strength. Now, in this verse, like I said, it has a military tone to it. And so it, it reminds me of, of other passages or other verses like in, in Psalm chapter 20, verse 7, where it says, Some trust in uh, chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, of our, Lord our God. Now, why is that? Because we know that God is strong. We know that God is, is strong enough to be able to handle any situation that, that comes, okay? Or maybe... Think about David and Goliath, okay? David didn't defeat Goliath because he was great with the slingshot. I mean, he might have been, okay? But that's not why. It's not because it was a lucky shot or anything like that. He defeated Goliath because God was fighting for him. And God is strong, okay? God is our refuge and he's also our strength. And then the psalmist goes on to say that he is an ever-present help in time of trouble. Now, no matter where we are, no matter what situation we're in, God will never say, uh, could you come back tomorrow? I just don't have the time right now. Okay? Okay? That's, that's what this verse is saying. God is an ever-present help, that he is there. He is always present. Okay? So that's what the Bible, you know, that's the orientation that we have, what the Bible reveals about God's character. And then he goes on, and, and, he's, and he says, well, so what effect does this have? If we know that God is our refuge and our strength and, and he's always there, then what effect does that have on us? In verse 2, it says, therefore, we will not fear. Okay, so let me, let me ask you a question, all right? How many of you believe that God is our refuge? Okay, hands up. Okay, how many of you believe that God is strong, that he is our strength? How many of you believe that God is always there, that he is an ever-present help? Okay, how many of you never fear? Well, you just said you believe that, right? And the psalmist said, therefore, we will not fear. So what is wrong with you people? I don't know. <laughs> no, we, we know it, right? Okay, so we know these things about God's character, don't we? He, he's strong, he's a refuge, he's always there, and yet sometimes we still fear, right? And I think what that means is, is that we... Um, even though we'll say it, and, and you know what, we might actually believe that, but in the moment, it's much more difficult to live out, isn't it? It's much more difficult to understand that. And I think what that means is, is that over time, and this is the case for me too, is that, is that we need to, to anchor ourselves in the character of God more and more so that eventually that fear starts to go away. The character of God is the foundation for how we deal with struggling. Okay? When we can really get it not just in our heads but down into our hearts, then the fear starts to, to melt away. And I don't know if people ever get to the point where there is no more fear at all. I, I suspect maybe there have been some. Okay? But I know that probably, it, well, if you're like me, um, we've got a ways to go before that happens, right? All right. The next part uh, of this psalm is really interesting, and it, it actually was the most moving part for me. I, I don't know if you'll um, think it was as moving as I did, but anyway, so let's, so let's go on. Verse 2 says this, Therefore we will not fear, though the, waters, though the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Okay? Uh, so this is the interesting part. Okay? Um, in the Old Testament, waters is sort of code or symbol for chaos. Um, and actually, this is not just in the Bible. This is in the ancient world. 
If you look at, at origin stories, and, and one of them, of course, is the creation account in Genesis, but if you look at, at origin stories in the ancient world, Mesopotamia and all of that, everything starts with water, okay? It starts with ocean. It starts with, with chaos, right? And, and you can kind of understand why, right? Uh, because <clears throat> like we, there, there are some scientists that will say, we know more about space than we do about the bottom of the ocean, Right? Most of the unexplored parts of the earth um, have, are just the, the depths of the ocean. We don't know what's down there. We have all these tools and things like that, and yet we still don't know what's down there. Now, can you imagine in the ancient world um, wondering about that too, looking at the sea, not having the tools that we have or the experience that we have to be able to see what's under all of those you know, miles and miles and miles of water. Can you imagine how scary that would have been? And besides, I mean, think about all of the crazy stuff that lives under there, some of which probably washed up on shore. Like, for instance, uh, things like this, right? That's called a goblin shark. It looks like his face is inside out, doesn't it? Like the, uh, I don't know, anyway, crazy stuff, all right? Or, or something like this, yeah? Yeah? So you start to see, why did ancient people think the ocean was like chaos and, and all of that? All right, here's another one. This is called the viper fish. I mean, it's just a scary stuff, all right? Uh, here's another one, the deep sea hatchet fish. I know, isn't that the worst? Okay, and this one I think is, is terrible too. I think um, God's three-year-old sister designed this one right here, okay? <laughs> it's called the blobfish, uh, aptly named. Okay, these are the things that live under the ocean, right? <laughs> and so you can understand why it's so, such a scary thing why they consider it to be chaos. You know, even in, the, even in the Genesis story, at the very beginning, Genesis 1-2, now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep. Okay, that's, that's chaos. Okay, and that's the common ancient picture of, of the world um, before creation. In the Genesis account, the Genesis account is actually described as God bringing order out of the chaos, all right? Bringing order out of chaos. When God creates land, what does he do? He separates out the waters from other waters and, and, and makes it a place that is habitable, okay? The land is a refuge from the sea. Um, and, and mountains, mountains are, are just, you know, like land on steroids, right? They, they're, they're symbols of stability. They're, they're firm foundations that cannot be moved. And, and so then notice how the psalmist describes what's happening when it comes to struggles, okay? He says, I'm not going to fear even when it seems like the sea is going to destroy the mountains, when chaos is going to overcome all of the order that you have created. I'm not going to fear. Even when it seems like chaos is threatening everything. Today we might say, even when it seems like the sky is falling, I will not fear. Okay, that's, that's a great image of struggle, isn't it? When we're struggling, it seems like chaos. It seems like everything is out of control. We can't control it, and sometimes it seems like God can't even control it okay, when we're struggling. But here's the beauty of this picture, okay? Let's, let's go on to verse, to verse four. I, I love this, okay? This is where he introduces life in the presence of God. Uh, verse four, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the most high dwells, okay? Now, do you see it? Okay, he talks about a river. Now, now what is a river? A river is water that is under control, 
It's a water that is flowing to a particular purpose. Okay, and so do you see what he's saying there is, is that there's this chaos that's happening and yet God somehow channels it in a way that allows it to, what, what is the purpose there? Brings delight, makes glad the city of God. It's an amazing image, isn't it? That this is what God does with struggle. He takes the chaos and he channels it into a place where it can bring delight to the city of God. Now, have you ever had a time when you've had struggle that was turned to delight? Maybe you can't think of anything right off the top of your head, but you know what happens, right? Um, I think about the picture. One of the, one of the um, great uh, biblical images of this is the story of Joseph in, uh, in the book of Genesis. Um, if you remember Joseph, he was born kind of a spoiled child. He was the, the favorite son of his dad and, and had uh, tw- 12 brothers, I guess. And um, all the rest of his brothers were going to bow down to him, and he was going places and all of that. And his brothers were, were jealous about this because he made sure that they all knew about it. And, uh, and so what did they do? They were going to kill him, and then they decided they could make more money if they sold him as a slave in Egypt. And so that's what they did. And so he goes down to Egypt, and then, you know, somehow he learns character uh, throughout that that situation, um, so to the point where his boss's wife was coming on to him, wanted to have an affair with him, and, and he was able to resist her, and she was mad about that, and so she told uh, uh, Potiphar, told her husband that, that he was trying to come on to her, and so he was thrown into jail, and you know, people forgot about him while he was in jail. I mean, his whole life was struggle, even though you know, once he was sold as a slave in Egypt, he did everything right, and yet his whole life was struggle. And it all started with his brothers selling him as a slave in Egypt. But through that whole ordeal, he ends up rising to second in power in Egypt and ends up saving thousands of lives, including the life of his own family. Well, eventually, he was reunited with his brothers and... uh, and and, uh, and they realized that because of Joseph's power that they could be toast. You know, like if he wanted to take revenge on them, then, you know, he certainly had the power to do whatever he wanted to do. And it became particularly poignant, and this is just a, a beautiful picture here, is when their father was about to pass away, or after he passed away, they were together, and the brothers realized that, you know what, maybe the only thing that's keeping Joseph from destroying us is dad. Uh, But now that he's gone, now he really can do anything he wants. And so they go to Joseph and they apologize to him and they admit their sin and and they beg Joseph not to kill them, of course. And and then there's this picture where Joseph utters these amazing words. One of the most beautiful pictures in all of scripture where he says this. He says, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Now, the trick with trying to have an attitude like Joseph is having that attitude in the middle of our struggles, not looking back at it in hindsight. And it's something that's really hard to do. You know, the, the, 
understanding that God is trying to create purpose out of chaos that is happening in your life. And, and when you come to that realization, what you realize then is that it might not be our job to fix it or to get out of it as quickly as we can, okay? But maybe it's to endure it and to trust that God is trying to bring order, trying to bring purpose out of chaos. And it may even be that in the moment that we don't even have to understand it. I mean, a lot of times we want to have the answers to it right now. And sometimes in the moment we just need to trust, to cooperate with God. And then when we look back on it in the end, then maybe we'll be able to have that perspective. Maybe then we'll know that God was trying to bring about something good either for me or if it's not for me, maybe for, for somebody else. Verse 8, come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Basically, he's saying, look at how powerful God is. Look at how he's worked in the past, how he's brought peace. Okay, that's his character. It's, it's reminding them, okay, telling them that you need to remember how God has worked in the past. And then we get to verse 10. This is what a lot of people say is the highlight of the, of the whole chapter. He says, be still and know that I am God. Now, we, we usually quote this verse when we're trying to convince people that they need to have a quiet time with God. Be still and know that I am God. Um, and, and I suppose you could use it that way. I think there's probably some truth to that. But if you're looking at the original there, it's not really about that. Remember, this is a military scene. And, and commentators will tell you that when it says be still, it really is more like cease and desist. Stop it. Okay? I mean, that's, that probably would be a better translation if you, if you do it in context there. Okay? Stop it. And um, because what they're saying is, is that I know that you are tempted to try to take things into your own hands. I know that you see this military threat that's coming and you are bent on arming yourself for war or bent on trying to, trying to um, take on allies um, with these other pagan nations and all of that. But he says, no, stop it. Cease and desist. And the reason is, is because as, as long as you're struggling, as long as you're trying to do it on your own, as long as you're flailing around, trying to do things your way, then you're going to miss it. But it's only when you stop that you're going to be able to see and know that I am God. The only way you're going to know my power is if you stop the struggle and allow me to, to take it on. Then you will know that I am God. And these are things that are hard to do. You know, there are some of you who are, who are struggling right now with, with various things, okay? And you're, you're trying to fix it, and, and maybe there's something that's fixable there. Um, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's just a matter of you needing to learn to be still, to, to stop, cease and desist. And in that, you get to know that God is God. He gets to reveal himself to you in a way that you didn't think that he would before. Over the next five weeks, we're going to be exploring five particular struggles. And these might not be your struggles, um, but I know you have struggles. 
And more than step-by-step instructions about how to solve them, I think dealing with struggles well starts with our attitude toward God. It's, it's recognizing God's character, that, that there is a God who is there, that there is a God who is your refuge, that there is a God who is strong enough to handle anything that comes your way. God is present um, in your time of need, and that you have a God who is somehow able to bring purpose out of the chaos of life if, you're, if you let him. The author Ruth Haley Barton says that she has learned over the years that when she runs into problems, rather than immediately going to strategy and trying to figure out, okay, how, I'm go- how am I going to fix this? She's learned to, first of all, go to God. Learn to, first of all, pray and, and she prays this simple prayer. She says, God, you know this is happening. So what are we going to do about it? Right? Beautiful prayer. Okay? Because what does it do? It acknowledges that in the middle of my struggle that there is a God who is there. That I might have a part to play, but I don't do it myself. That God is in the struggle with me. And then if it's going to be solved, if there's going to be purpose that comes out of it, if there's going to be good that comes out of it, then that work is going to be God's work. And so the first thing that we need to learn is that when struggle comes, go to God. And I would love it if we would all just get into the habit of praying that prayer. God, all right, what are we going to do about it? Let's pray. God, I thank you for this word, and I thank you for the honesty of the Psalms and really the honesty of Scripture that that in this world we will have trouble. Um, because we know it's true. We know it from experience. We all have it. And, you know, whether the struggles that we have are are self-made or things beyond our control, things that are solvable and things that are not, God, I, I pray that the first place that we would go would be to you. I pray that the first place that we would go would be to prayer, And that we would pray that prayer, okay, God, I I don't know what to do. I know that I can't fix this. So what are we going to do about it? And then may we submit ourselves to you and know in the middle of it all that when we look back on it, we'll see how you worked. And we will be able to see that even though life seemed chaotic, even though it seemed like chaos was going to reign, that in the end, that you are our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. We thank you that you are there, and I want to pray for people today who are going through struggles. I don't know what they are. Well, some I do, but many I probably don't. Lord, I pray that you would give them the strength to go to you and to seek you for refuge. And God, as we go through this series and we we dive more into some of these topics that I think are going to be pretty painful for some people and uh, confusing for others, Lord, I pray that you would show yourself to be our refuge and our strength. 
And I pray not just for the individuals in this congregation, but I pray for this church. I pray that we would recognize that the path to transformation always goes through struggle. And that we wouldn't shy away from it, we wouldn't deny it, we wouldn't try to make it go away as quickly as possible. But that we would see how you are working in the middle of it. God, may it be so. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.